0: Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the 483rd show of ROI. Our noted guest for today's show is Dr. John Tresh. Milton Chair and Professor of History, Art, Science, and Folk Practice at the Warburg Institute in the University of London, England, who is going to talk to us about the reason for the darkness of the night, Edgar Allan Poe, and the forging of American science. Joining us for the second segment of the show will be our history buffs, Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. Uh, To begin with, we'd like to welcome Dr. John Tresh to the show. Welcome to the show, John.
1: Uh, Thanks. We're happy to be here.
0: Uh, we call this first segment Fad to Naran, and our goal is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some basic information on Edgar Allan Poe and his relationship to the development of American science?
1: Yeah, sure. The I'm, I'm guessing that most of your listeners are going to know Edgar Allan Poe. I had to read him in junior high. I'm an American. I think most, most kids read him at age 13, and we read the Telltale Heart. Uh, this, this classic of horror fiction, a very, very short, powerful, sharp story about a man's guilt at having, for no good reason, killed his, his neighbor, the man he lives with. And then because of that guilt, he, he buries the, the body under the floorboards, but he still hears the heart beating, beating and beating, driving him crazy until he screams in agony and confesses the crime. So that is a great example of of what Poe is best known for. Tales of horror, tales of psychological insight, tales of real pathology, really crazy people, and and the things they get up to and and the strange delusions that are in their minds. And there's a whole slew of stories that that follow that pattern that Poe's known for. He's also really influential in the history of literature. He invented the the detective novel, the detective story, Sherlock Holmes' first story, it makes a point of referring to Poe's earlier stories in detective fiction. He Sherlock Holmes says, yeah, I resemble a little bit uh, Auguste Dupin. And Dupin was the, the character that, that Poe created in The Murders in the Rue Morgue, The Purloined Letter, The Mystery of Marie Roget. So the, the first modern detective stories, that Poe invented those. Likewise, um, not just horror, not detective stories only, but also science fiction. He described a voyage to the moon, a voyage across the Atlantic in an air balloon that course, never had happened. It hadn't happened yet. And those were really influential for Jules Verne and and, and other pioneers of science fiction. So a really important figure in the history of literature, connected with imagination, connected with insanity and the limits of reason and rationality, people who have gone beyond what we take as common sense or, or predictable normalcy. At the same time, and this is what's less well known, Poe actually, in his lifetime, spent a great deal of his time writing about science, writing about the really amazing revolutionary discoveries that were happening in this time, the big changes in how science was taught, how it was practiced, what kinds of research and discoveries and debates were out there. And it makes sense, because in his life, he went very young. He he was an orphan, but he grew up in Richmond, in the central the University of Virginia, the the university that uh, Thomas Jefferson founded, studied science there, and then was kicked out of his, his house from his uh, stepfather, his kind of evil uh, foster father, John Allen, and made his way to West Point Military Academy. So that's a military school, but it's also the school that had the best training in engineering, in physics and mathematics and in, in building roads and railroads, all the all the mathematics and astronomy you need to, to build the infrastructure of the U.S. People went from West Point to build the railroads, to build the canals, to build the dams that were really – building the national transportation networks, communication networks. Poe dropped out of West Point. He got himself kicked out. But I, that training really stuck with him. He, and as he began to make his way in Richmond, in Baltimore, in New York, in Philadelphia, working for a number of different journals and newspapers that were starting up at the time, he wrote fiction, he wrote poetry, but he also wrote a great deal of science. And what I do in my book, The Reason for the Darkness of the Night, is trace that presence of scientific thinking, of awareness of what's happening, and the incredible excitement in the 1830s and 40s, in this very early moment in the history of the U.S., that science provoked in readers and in in writers. And Poe had a very uh, enthusiastic view towards science. He was part of the broad movement of trying to build new institutions in the u.s to compete with european institutions in in science to create a national culture of science and at the same time a national culture of literature a national culture of criticism so he's very enthusiastic in those nation building and scientifically uh, forward-looking projects but at the same time as you know from his tales of horror which are all about testing the limits of knowledge, testing the limits of rationality. He also had a very sharp, very skeptical view towards some of the exaggerated claims of science, the, the idea that just by applying a kind of rational method to everything, all of humanity's problems would be solved. And there's a kind of duel in his thinking, in his writing, in his stories, and in, in a lot of his um, – nonfiction writing that I, I, I spend a lot of time talking about in the book. And really throughout his life, there's a kind of duel going, going, going on between the rational and the irrational, the kind of observable the observation and empiricism and imagination, which where you get to just by traveling in your mind. And those two poles, the, the rational and the irrational, the observed and the, the speculative and the imaginative, they, they run through all of his writing, not just the scientific writing, which I, I show is actually very important for his life. It's been a big part of how he earned living, but also the famous tales, the famous short stories, and even the famous poetry, like The Raven. That's the story, that's the poem that, that made him famous, and actually, I show that that poem, quote the, Raven, quote the Raven, Nevermore, is actually very closely tied to an important scientific debate. That's happening in, in 1845, really about the origin of the universe and whether it's possible to have a scientific explanation of the origin of the universe. What can humans know versus what is the kind of deep, dark mystery of the world that's beyond our ability to know about it? And that's the theme that I trace through his life. It's a biography. It tells about his birth, his growth, all the kind of debates and, and Kind of highs and lows, and there's a lot of lows that go through his very short life, and set him in, in the historical setting of the U.S. in the 1830s and 40s, which it turns out is a pretty uh, crazy period. There's a lot of changes going on. And the extremity in his stories, the kind of the shift from high to low, the, the extremity between rationality and irrationality, that really reflects what's going on in the still very wild um, early u.s which is which hasn't really established anything like a national or federal framework to begin to tie together what's going on in the different states and so i trace poe as he moves to those different states how he moves to those different states of mind and how states of mind and how that is reflected in in all of his writing and then with his rather tragic death in in 1848
0: Okay. We have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KELA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1
2: FM. If you are wondering how to find out where locals love to go, there's a website called localsloveus.com, or you can pick up a Locals Love Us guide around town as well, localsloveus.com.
0: Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley and this is the second segment of the show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today's show is Dr. John Tresh, Milton Chair and Professor of History, Art, Science, and Folk Practice at Warburg Institute in the University of London, England, and we're talking about the reason for the darkness of the night, Edgar Allan Poe, and the forging of American science. Our history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. Uh, Rick, why don't you start us off?
3: Okay, thanks, John. John, my uh, first introduction to Poe was as a 13-year-old when I went to a movie, The Pit and the Pendulum and uh was mm-hmm. so terrified I picked up everything I could on Poe from that point on <laughs> so uh your science is, science is correct uh a question the i mean I looked at Poe as uh basically somebody who was marginally psychotic uh, how did he come up with this psychological deviancy that, that the basis of his uh work, but I, I didn't realize that he was actually thinking about you know scientific principles and things that could be in the future. Beyond the common sense, what what do you think is the source of his, uh, his there I call it clairvoyance to look into the future for looking for answers to scientific questions that nobody were even asking at that time?
1: I think that ability to look into the future and to really predict and anticipate and kind of prophesize has a lot to do with the, the image that we have of him as someone who's also quite psychopathological, who's really <laughs> yes. not mentally well, yes. that he's, he's operating beyond the limits of normal rationality. He's, he, he starts from common sense. He explores what, what, what people understand about what the rules of knowledge are, what the kind of methods of, of knowing are, how you move from observations to laws, and then thinks, well, what's beyond it? What comes next? And so he's thinking in historical terms. He's very excited by the history of science, the history of technology, looking at the new railroads that are showing up around him, thinking, well, how is this going to change the way people think? And he, he actually says that with the new speed of communication, with the telegraph and the railroad and steamboats, we need, we need new ways to think. We need, we need to be able to think more quickly, process information more quickly. So he's always thinking about how the particular historical moment shapes what people know and what the limits of their thinking are. Is are and so he then projects beyond that to think. Well, what would it happen? What would happen if we went a couple steps beyond this? We've got air balloons. People are are trying to figure out how to control the air and use it to navigate. Why not have one go across the ocean? Why not have one uh, uh, an air vessel go all the way to the moon? He's thinking about the different histories of the origin of, of the universe. Well, why not try a different story? One that is is more one that he likes better. A story that's about creation. The creation of the universe being like the creation that an artist does when writing a story so he's always pushing the limits and i think part of that goes back to his scientific training which is about testing hypotheses getting a getting a a suggestion about what the world might be like coming up with an experiment and testing it to see what's true when he wrote poetry when he wrote stories he was running experiments what would the world be like if this were true could this be true could this be a way to to experience the world is this a kind of invention that could actually work and what would it take to make it persuasive and real a
0: quick question on my part. Uh, I had a professor I took uh, uh, down at Benedictine College, and he was someone who was very fond of Poe, and he always talked about that Poe's um, life was kind of like in the being in the um, the boat that is too small for the waves, and always trying to keep the waters somewhat balanced, and that was rationality, but always looking at the coast of other objects, like you're talking about with poetry. Um, science but people always forget he was an incredible workaholic i mean he was constantly uh, challenging thought um when could you tell our listeners because you gave a a brief life because he dies way too short um from when he was Mm -hmm. at west point on how many years was this that he was working non-stop to try and answer a ton of (laughs) questions as rick said rationality is one of them
1: yeah, well, less less than 20 years. So he's born in 1809. He dies in 1849. He dies 40 years old. He leaves West Point in, in his early 20s. So he's basically got about two decades. Where, as you say, absolutely, he's burning the candle at both ends. He's working nonstop, scrambling to get paid, scrambling to sell articles and stories. And he's, he's moving from Richmond to Baltimore, to Philadelphia, to New York, back to Richmond. He's moving all over the country. And, yes, he's a workaholic. He's, he's, being, he's, he's producing tons and tons of text. He's also an alcoholic. So he, he has binges, certainly early on in his life, and then that comes back with a bit of a vengeance in, in the 1840s. So that makes it even harder. It makes it even harder for him to keep up with the, with the bills, to pay the, his debts, to pay for the medicine for his, his wife, Virginia, who's got tuber- tuberculosis from the 1840s or onward. So yeah, he, his life is really a kind of a, a, a tragic, mad scramble. And, and that's, that's really from, from birth onward, he's, he's running. Certainly from the time that he's forced to leave the, his um, childhood home with John Allen, which was a, a place of really great um, uh, um, privilege. He was, he was raised in Richmond, and Allen was a very rich trader. He expected that he would inherit that wealth, so it was a real shock to him that he had to make his own way in the world and really live hand-to-mouth. Hand in a way, he's one of the um, first American authors to try to live by his writing alone. Most other American authors at the time had another job and wrote as a kind of pastime. And for him, it was the $5 or the $10 that he could get for a review or a story that kept them going from month to month. And as, as you know, it, it, his life didn't last long. He, he really burnt that candle out. Ed? When,
3: when Poe was um, at his most prolific uh, in the 1830s and 40s, that time period also overlaps uh with a period in American history known as the Great Awakening, where there were all kinds yeah. of religious sects and theories uh you know sprouting up like weeds um did some of those uh newly formed religious sects how was how was Poe viewed uh by the religious crowd
1: yeah that's a great question, and I think that the, to go back to, to an earlier question, the, you know, why is he thinking so forward? Why, what's this prophetic aspect, this predictive aspect he's writing? Well, it's, as, as you point out, that is really a big part of the culture of the U.S. at the time. People are looking for the, the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. They're expecting, there's, there's a new, um, the, the Seventh-day Adventists show up at this time, expecting Christ to return in, in the 1840s there's a, a real expectation of the millennium and a sense that the apocalypse is on its way. The world is about to end, and that has everything to do with the, the Second Greater Awakening, and that kind of fervor is, is something that Poe is kind of writing. It's one of the ways that he's writing. It informs the way he thinks, thinking about where, where, do, where does the world come from? What are the intentions of the Creator? What, who, what is the character of God? There's actually, you know, he's, 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 he, he tells of Characters who do extremely immoral things, but in his philosophy of nature, his kind of scientific theories, God, although it's not a Christian God, plays a very central role. So there's a great deal of, of religious thought in, in his work. How was he re- received by um, religious thinkers? Um, many were scared. They thought, who is this crazy person? What are these dangerous, perverse uh, ideas and stories that he's telling us? Uh, there was a, a really Frequent tendency in among critics of Poe, leaders of Poe, to assume that because he was able to detail the states of the mind of a of an immoral or or pathological or murderous person so well, he must be that immoral or pathological or murderous person. And if, there's nothing in his life to 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 say that that's that's who he was. He just had a really powerful sense of empathy and was able to understand people who, who with difficult lives, whose, whose minds were, were not under their control. He could enter into the, the, those kinds of minds. And I think there was a sense that he was fighting to maintain his own rationality, but he did certainly preserve it in, throughout key moments of his life. But there was a real reaction by certain um, religious writers to... Some of the immoral scenes that he depicted, the unhealthy states of mind, and especially what he saw as his major work, his kind of life's achievement that he published in 1848, um, *Eureka*, which is his his theory of the origins of the universe. Some of the the readers of that book were were very concerned that it was um, pantheistic. It wasn't uh, a dep- depiction of a creation that was created by God. Um, who's outside the world, planning it and plotting it and constructing it, but rather a vision of the world where God is in everything, where God is the world. And so that obviously um, raised some hackles among religious thinkers, but he was very connected to the emerging scene of mesmerism, which is the, the, the idea that spirits can travel, can speak to each other, can, can see things at a distance, and that's the basis for spiritualism and the seances that show up a little later in the century, and he knew many of the key figures in the mesmerist movement and the early spiritualist movement, and some of them exchanged ideas. A lot of the ideas that were being announced through spiritualism of what happens to the soul after death, how you can communicate to souls, some of the people who were advancing those ideas saw Poe's theories, especially the writings on mesmerism and his writings in Eureka, as very much saying the same kinds of things, something they really agreed, agreed with. So it, mainstream religion was not something that he, was not a, an area where he found a, a great reception, but all of the new kind of spin-offs, the, the new radical religions that were showing up in spiritualism, in mesmerism, new, new visions of what the world might be, might be like, and visions of the way the spirit is in the world, those really resonated with the ideas that Poe was coming up with. Rick,
3: john, you uh, you mentioned uh, the uh, struggle of of uh, the five dollar ten dollar payments uh, as he was trying to uh, keep his family economically alive. Uh, and it begs a question for me, how popular was he in his time, is in terms of his writing, his stories, his poems, whatever. Um, uh, aside from the the uh, the uh, religious group, how popular was his literature and and uh, uh, reception from the general public?
1: Yes, yeah. there are a lo- there are a lot of myths about Poe and about who he was and, and what his life was like. One of the big ones that we still have is that he was completely neg- neglected in his lifetime; it was completely obscure and miserable. And it's only later, after he died, that he became famous. And there's a certain truth to that. I mean, he really, his fame was uh, astonishing after his death. And in part, because people were rethinking um, his, his impact on so many different kinds of literature. And especially in Europe, French authors um, and, and Spanish authors picked up his work and really popularized it. And they and said, it's, this is the model for modernist poetry, for mod- modernist writing. He became much more famous after his death. But that that hides the fact that he was actually very very concerned with this question. He knew that his reputation was crucial. He had to he had to be recognized as an author in order to get paid. He could demand much higher prices the more famous he was. He knew, understood the emerging system of American literary fame and celebrity the the press, the the interest that people showed in collecting signatures of famous authors like Longfellow or Hawthorne, or or looking at pictures of them and doing an analysis, phrenological analysis of the bumps on their head and their character. He wanted um, to participate in that same system of fame, and he studied how to do it. So in from his first um, uh, position as an editor in Richmond for the Southern Literary Messenger, he's analyzing what are the conditions of literary fame. In America at this time, and it requires making the kind of striking impact with shocking tales that he then produces. And this is all a fairly calculated means of getting his name out before the public. And then once people know his name as a fiction writer, they can begin to recognize his poetry, his criticism, his scientific work unfortunately, he kind of sabotaged himself in in Richmond. He was fired from that job. He then went to New York for a moment. There's a uh, a depression that starts in um, in, in American economy in 1837. He has to leave New York. He then goes to Philadelphia, and there, slowly but surely, begins to build up um, his literary uh, reputation. He's very well respected as an editor, as a critic, as the editor of Graham's Magazine, it's the biggest circulation of any journal in the world. He is admired and feared by all authors. He's publishing all the American authors. He, he hangs out with, um, I was about to say Bob Dylan, but it's, he, he hangs out with Charles Dickens, who is kind of the Bob Dylan, the Timely, like the biggest the biggest literary star, travels through the U.S. and, and post spends two days talking with him. By the time he gets to New York the the ground has been set in 1845 for a real explosion in the celebrity and the raven um debuts in 1845 and it's it's the making of him he is he is instantly very very famous um along with he, he actually did enjoy a fair amount of celebrity in the last years of his life there's only three three or four years left after that point and then that multiplied after he died
0: okay um a quick note before we give you the final say um also, if I recall, there was an article I read in college where Poe came out, because you had, talking what kind of Ed was talking about, the Great Awakening, you still had people believing and, and professing that God was giving the talents to these individuals to have these so-called fantastic creations, whether in the arts or science or whatever. And Poe writes an article, I think that pretty much the gist of it was, it was me Spending nonstop time working and refining and improving, why this work came along? Uh, I my prof said he was kind of the first voice to say, "Hey, this is Edgar Allan Poe, the artist, not the artist through the eyes of Edgar Allan Poe through who, the outside forces." Um, is that, uh, did yeah. you come across that article, or because he said it was kind of revolutionary?
1: Oh yeah, oh, yeah. it's it's really pivotal to my story. It comes out at a, in in eighteen forty six, just after. He's published The Raven, so he's now a, a superstar. Everyone's quoting The Raven. Abraham Lincoln is, is quoting The, 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 the Raven. It's, if you go to the theater, people will make jokes about Nevermore. They'll do, they'll do improvs improv on, on The Raven. So he's extremely famous because of this poem. And then, as you say, he writes this article called The Philosophy of Composition, where he says, some poets want you to think that they come up with their inspiration just by a species of of kind of wild imagining. It's a kind of divine gift, as you say. And he says, I'm going to show you instead that I wrote The Raven with the precision and foresight and logical necessity of a mathematical proof. So just as an engineer, looks at what their their effect is, what the outcome is, and then works backwards to figure out what kind of invention is going to reach that effect. I knew that I wanted to make a successful poem that made the readers feel sad, and I worked back from that, backward from that to, to figure out exactly what kind of rhyme scheme, what kind of topic, what kind of um, rhythm will best produce that effect. And it's a really, as you say, a very groundbreaking uh, idea that – Artwork requires a lot of thought, a lot of planning, a lot of rationality for it to appear to be natural, for it to appear to be inspired. It also, and this is why it's so important for what I'm showing about, about Poe's life, it's a reflection on science. It's a reflection on the way in which science and technology actually play a role and can enhance the inspiration and imagination of art. At the same time, it's, it, it's driving a lot of people crazy because there's no way. He wrote the poem the way he describes it. You you cannot write a poem like the Raven simply by saying, okay, I want to write a popular poem and I want it to be moving, and then work backwards. There is obviously an element of, of inspiration, a kind of gift, a kind of improvisation at work in it, and that's part of what the game he's playing with the with the audience. Do you? I'm going to present myself as completely rational, and at the same time, dare you to to point out or to recognize that I can't be this can't be true. So it's in this public sphere, this moment in, in, in popular, po- popular printing and in the press, where there's a lot of scientific claims, religious claims that are bouncing around. You don't know who to believe. You don't know whether a new scientific theory about uh, about a, a new kind of steam engine or about the origin of the, of the solar system is, is true, or if it's just the ravings of a lunatic. Who do you believe? Who do you trust? And Poe is playing with that uncertainty, even in this, this key critical text, On the one hand, he's saying, I'm a complete, I I wrote my poetry through science and rationality. And on the other hand, he's hinting that I'm actually satirizing and, and making fun. Of the claims that that are everywhere, that science and method and rationalization are the only way of being in the world, the only true kinds of creation, the only true kinds of knowledge. So that story is really important for the history of literature. It's really important in the history of his in his own biography. Right, it comes at this moment of, 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 of great fame, and he's kind of amplifying it. It's like a, a DVD, a how to how how we made. Um, a DVD making of, you know, you see the movie and then here's the, the, the little film about how the film was made. So that, that amplifies his, his his celebrity, but it also gets to the kind of underlying uncertainty or ambivalence in his work. It, how much is rationality and, and science and observation and how much is inspiration, irrationality and, and uh, imagination? And oh. both of those are, are there at all times in his work.
0: Okay, when we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1
2: FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2.
0: This concludes our 483rd show of ROI Relevant or Irrelevant, our producer and engineer is Dave Baker, our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark zap Zaptel. My name is John Keeley, we would like to thank our guests, Dr. John Tresh, Milton Chair and Professor of History, Art, Science, and Folk Practice at Warburg Institute at the University of London, England, who talked to us about his book, The Reason for the Darkness of the Night, Edgar Allan Poe, and The Forging of American Science. The history Bus for today's show are Rick Sweet and Ed Broders. This is ROI, relevant or irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of Ambrose or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsopula Nala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.